0: Our very existence existence depends on this, this This. black Black strength, strength Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses,
1: our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctors' Week podcast, Black Doctors is your source for vetted accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project.
0: Welcome, good evening, good evening, wherever you're calling us from. Uh, I'm Dr. Mike Lenore, and this is the Wellness Watch today, and we hope that you'll help us by joining to uh, ask questions and get engaged and get involved and let us know where you're calling from. The Wellness Watch is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project, it's also sponsored by BlackDoctors.org, And so if you want to join us, you've got a question. This is your program. This is your time. Uh, you can answer. We'll answer whatever we can. And we'll, we'll answer uh, anything that comments that you want to make. Our special guest today will be Dr. Cheryl Cram. He is going to be talking about sleep. Something that we all kind of struggle with uh, from time to time. And it's going to talk about how uh, significant the problem is it's going to give us Uh, Some ideas about uh, what sleep specialists do and how you might uh, holistically uh, deal with a sleep problem. And maybe those with a more difficult problem, we may be considered uh, talking about uh, other forms of therapy. Uh, So, before we do that, like I say, welcome again um, to the Welcome Watch. I want to start off first with a couple of news items. Uh, Obviously, you're probably COVID to death, but a couple of significant things happened this week in the COVID front. First of all, uh, it's clear that we need a booster. Uh, I'm not surprised. As a pediatrician, you may not be either. You know, Generally, when we get an immune response, sometimes that response needs a little jerk. And that's what the uh, booster will be. I think everybody should really start to think about uh, when they're eligible to get it uh, and get that booster. Uh, we're certainly still dealing with hesitancy on the part of a number of people in our country, probably a third of the country still not vaccinated. Uh, Hopefully, because the FDA approved the safety of the Pfizer vaccine, that uh, it says that three out of 10 people who are hesitant were waiting for that, uh, hopefully, we'll see that that happens. And hopefully, we'll get a situation where we have a lot of opportunities um, to get these shots. Uh, You have to realize now that I think we're all in this together uh, as long as you're not vaccinated uh, until it puts you at risk To yourself, to your family, to your children, especially since now they're going to school. With with, with FDA approval, that's one more notch in the belt of the effectiveness of these vaccines. And we hope that you take the time uh, to deal with that. So that's one issue. The other issue uh, that came up this week is that diabetes. Um, You know, we used to start to think that we need to screen for diabetes at age 40 and above, uh, for, for both diabetes and what we call pre diabetes. Prediabetes is when your blood sugar is a little bit above uh, normal, but you're not actually in the diabetic stage yet. Uh, remember some numbers. Your blood sugar should be less than 100. Your hemoglobin A1C really should be less than 6, but certainly less than 7. Well, now the uh, American Diabetic Association has said that, you know, we uh, we can't wait until you're 40. we got to start at 35. They've noticed that at 35 is when they start to see a fair number of people, blood sugar go up, and uh, even people slip into diabetes. Uh, another study, which should interest you as parents, is that if you look at the number of children who are developing type one and type two diabetes, a study this one this one showed and suggested that uh, with these children, uh, we're starting to see more type one and type two diabetes. Uh, it goes along with more obesity. I think the, that the Coronavirus epidemic, uh, COVID 19 may mean 19 pounds to you your children. And so consequently, uh, you have to start to watch uh, their uh, weight because diabetes can lead to uh, uh, heart attacks and strokes in adults. And so now we're screening at 35, we're not just screening uh, at 40. And finally, I saw an article that said that, you know, somebody's taking foods and have determined certain food how much time that adds or subtracts to your life one hot dog subtracts 36 minutes from your life vegetables add 43 minutes i mean they've got all these foods uh laid out now and this was from a a council uh, on nutrition they have actually added together the number of minutes you get for the foods you eat or the number of minutes you've lost Well, they're going to be very unhappy with my dinner tonight. So I probably lost maybe an hour with what I plan to eat, but I'll be a little bit more cautious from the beginning. One hot dog, 34 minutes. One uh, regular soda, something like 24 minutes. Uh, Vegetables add 43 minutes. And so consequently, I'll still be able to keep up with that um, that particular uh, index. Um, Man, I'm going to have to change. I may make a call home. Uh, and change the uh change the diet uh so now we're going to talk to our special guest dr joe cram dr cram has been a friend of mine for as long as i can remember friends he is a sleep specialist he did his training uh at new york university where he graduated uh with new york uh, where he graduated with honors uh, and else did his internal medicine and sleep training at the university of california san francisco he is an expert and sleep, and not only does he treat patients, but he instructs other people uh, across the country on the importance of sleep and ways and techniques uh, to get it. So, Dr. Cram, I want to welcome you to uh, the Welcome Watch. is a big issue for uh, many of us. Um, first of all,
1: why do, we, why do we really
0: need sleep?
1: Well, the, my my smart alec response has always been. We need sleep so we don't feel sleepy. And Uh,
0: that's something that we're not really satisfied with. (laughs)
1: Because if we don't get sleep, um, it really tremendously impacts our performance across the board, physically and mentally. And you know that's clearly been shown over and over again to to be an issue. And what also has been shown to be an issue is that people don't recognize it and they're in denial about it. So for example, this population, our culture promotes the fact that you can get away with six hours of sleep a night and do fine. And knowing you, Mike, you're probably gonna tell me that you only sleep four and a half hours and think it's just fine. But in fact, when measured objectively, uh, performance, as I said, both mentally and physically, are clearly impacted when you begin to get even six hours a night of sleep, compared to what we consider the normal range, which in adults is somewhere between seven and nine hours a night.
0: Yeah, I can't ever. Rem- I can't remember the last time I've gotten um, seven or eight hours worth of sleep. Uh, what am I losing? What am I missing? Because I don't get that sleep.
1: Well. As I say, you know, there there's, there's a, there is some range. So not everybody's affected the same. But what you're missing is slowing down of reflexes and um, memory and uh, uh, creativity is actually impacted. And we'll talk about that as we go forward and talk a little bit about the different stages of sleep. But, you know, e- each stage of sleep has some kind of, relevant function, because sleep is not just an on-off switch, it's actually a pretty complex behavior. And it impacts all, depending on which part of your sleep is impacted, uh, has different effects on people.
0: Now, are, are you, this is kind of an off-the-wall question. Are human sleep patterns, are they similar to sleep patterns of other mammals, other animals, or how do we differ?
1: Well, we, we don't differ all that much from other mammals except some of them have it flipped around because we know how animals have nocturnal patterns so so they are day and night are flipped from ours but they still have the important thing is all living creatures have what's called a circadian rhythm circadian is from the um, latin words circa which means about dia or day so it's about one day so our internal clock regulates sleep and wake in a rhythmic pattern when our sleep is normal and it actually turns out a Nobel Prize was awarded to a couple of sleep scientists maybe five years ago now four years ago for helping to identify the fact that the genes in our body there's a gene called the clock gene and it regulates our sleep-wake cycle and all of our body has it and and this is our 24-hour cycle, where we get, if it works, 16 hours of wakeful time, and eight hours of sleep time. And that, in 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 the population as a whole, that rhythm is pretty entrenched, is pretty firm. We we maybe have a little bit of a delay, but uh, the best and easiest example of what happens when circadian rhythm gets out of whack is jet lag. You know, when you land in somewhere that's five hours different time zone and you try and function, you're gonna usually be impacted because you're out of sync with your own internal clock trying to be on the region's clock. So that's very closely regulated and, uh, and very important. So if we don't give ourselves the opportunity to get that sleep, then we've got a problem.
0: What are, what, I notice that we always talk about various stages of sleep. What are the stages of sleep, and, and what, what what elements are important in those
1: stages? So there are four stages of sleep. Well, first of all, let's count wake as a, as a stage. So we have we're awake for a large portion of the day. When we first fall into sleep, we go through light sleep which is called stage one and it's just a brief period of transition the majority of the night 45 percent or so is spent in stage two sleep which is normal amount of our the biggest part of our night is in stage two sleep but then we get in the next stage after that is stage three sleep which is deep sleep and also called slow-wave sleep, because our brain dramatically slows down in its function. And what we think is going on in slow-wave sleep, and it's called delta-wave sleep, it's called as mostly just deep sleep, is that our information that we've absorbed in the course of the day is reorganized and put into long-term storage in the back of our brain. Okay. And then the last stage of sleep is one that most people have heard about is called REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement. And it's in rapid eye movement that the great majority of all of our dreaming goes on. And what we believe is going on in REM sleep is that all the information we take in, in the course of a day has to be filtered. If our brain retained every single event and, and every thought that we had our brains would be overwhelmed. So we have to have some way of sorting it out and sort of discarding what we don't need and retaining what we do need. And that's, uh, that off uh, goes on a lot in REM sleep, that organization. And then the brain moves that REM memory and that information from the front of the brain where REM sleep's going on to the back of the brain, where, as I said, is where the long term storage units are. So REM sleep is crucial for sorting out and absorbing new information. It's also crucial for memory and it's crucial for creativity because that's when our brains are linking different things together. So it takes an idea from here and an idea from here, from here, an idea from here, and puts them together in a way that becomes a coherent thought, in a coherent pro- process. So those are the stages. One, light sleep. Two, normal sleep. Stage three is slow wave. Four is REM. All right, honey, what, what is the definition of insomnia? Insomnia these days is defined as difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, or difficulty maintaining good quality restful sleep.
0: Yeah, let's start with, let's talk a little bit about um, those three phases. What, what first of all, huh, what percentage of people who have insomnia have trouble going to sleep uh, and will each stage separately? You can tell us exactly what percentage or what group, how large the group is that have trouble going to sleep and what can you do differently to get to sleep?
1: Well, let, let me just interject for a moment here that there's a couple of books I want to recommend to people. And one is called Why We Sleep. But there's a new one out from a colleague of mine, a friend of mine at Stanford, called How to Sleep. It's by uh, Rafael Palayo. And, uh, And because there are tricks to learning how to sleep and how to wind down and decompress a little bit. So falling asleep, is very common, uh, difficulty falling asleep is very common, is the commonest type of uh, insomnia. But the next most common would be waking up too early, maintaining sleep through the night. And uh, I would say that about a third of the adult population have a significant issue with insomnia at some points in their life. Almost everybody has a, a occasional night where they can't sleep. But persistent problem sleeping probably occur in a third of people, and that's a lot of people. The um, and what happens there's a lot there's different reasons. Um, people will say I can't shut my brain down, I can't quiet things down, I can't slow down. And there are things that there are tricks to this. So today, what we have found in treating insomnia is that getting, helping people to change their behaviors, to change their habits, to have what we call good sleep hygiene, good sleep rules, is very helpful. And we teach that through a technique called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And we call it CBT-I for insomnia. And CBT is a matter of self-awareness and understanding sleep's normal rhythm and trying to do what we can to stick to that rhythm. Because it's when people get into wildly aberrant changing patterns that tends to reinforce problems with sleep. Now, our culture is heavily uh, balanced or heavily represented with shift workers. They have a dreadful time because they're, they're imposing uh, problems with this rhythm of sleep on themselves because of their careers and lives. But if you don't have shift work, you can still have very bad habits of bedtime habits and wake-up habits, which really try and encourage people to have a relatively repetitive bedtime. What what does that mean to you? Well, it's changing as I get older. Um, Classically, uh, we get to bed as as adolescents and teenagers. uh, We tend to want to stay up later and later. And our clocks internally are wired to stay up later. As uh, we've gotten older and as we all get older, we tend to go to bed earlier and earlier. So it depends a little bit on where in your life cycle we're talking about. Uh, for me right now, I'm getting to bed closer to 10 p.m. Uh, than I ever did before. That would have been obscenely early for me, 10 even 10 years ago probably. But now I more routinely uh, go to bed. Some of that's driven by the fact that your favorite patient, my wife, uh, goes, goes to bed around nine or 9.30. So it's hard to stay up by myself. But well, what do you uh, have
0: to do? I mean, some people talk about the fact that uh, that they go to sleep with the TV on or they go to sleep with a book or something. I what is the ideal, uh, you know, obviously everybody's different patterns, but what are the practical things that
1: people can do who are not, um, who have trouble going to sleep? So. Perfect question. Good segue. You've done this before, haven't you? Um, (laughs) So the first things we have to do are start to shut down our brains about an hour or so before bedtime. We want to have everything begin to slow down. And by that I mean we're not doing things that are super stimulating. We want to be able to avoid the screens that we're all exposed to now. So we know that the blue light in a cell phone, in a laptop, in a tablet goes into our eyeballs. And light is one of the main things that sets our internal clock. And if we have that blue light shining in our in our brains, into our eyes, going to our brain, it's going to tend to promote us staying awake longer. So avoiding the screen exposure in the last hour or so before we go to bed. What happens in the last hours before bed is that our brain wants to start shutting down. What it does is it starts producing a hormone called melatonin. Most people have heard of melatonin. Many of them think of it as a sleeping pill, but it's really not a very good sleeping pill. What it does is begin to shut the brain's alertness down and get us ready to help fall asleep. Um, It's actually one time when I do use a medication and not just behavior, because sometimes I will have people take a very, very low dose of melatonin, one to three milligrams max. But the key is taking it a couple of hours before bedtime. To help the brain begin to slow down and begin to shut off our alertness so we want to do that either with melatonin but hopefully just naturally let things slow down a little bit and 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 not do something so, that's too stimulating so,
0: so that that kind of means no sex before you go to sleep
1: well that depends if it's still stimulating or not
0: <laughs> another question here
1: uh, yeah lord Reed, her
0: boyfriend sleeps three hours a night What can she do to help
1: him? (laughs) Um, No, you know, first of all, very few people really only sleep three hours. It's exceedingly rare to be that short a sleeper. A lot of people are getting a little more sleep than they realize. So there's, there's, there's something called sleep misperception that's actually surprisingly common, where you're in bed... And you think you're awake, but it's interspersed with periods of sleep. But you remember being awake. Why? Because you're so. What I do to help people get back on a good rhythm is to key in on their wake-up time. So we start with a desired wake-up time. And it, let's say this three-hour sleeper wants to get up at for work at 6 a.m., all right? What I tell them is, okay, you're only sleeping three hours. You can't go to bed until 3 a.m. Then you'll get your three hours and I want you to wake up at 6 a.m. no matter what. They look at you like you're out of your mind because they say, I can't stay up until three in the morning. You know, are you kidding? That's impossible. And I say, you know, well, wait a minute. You just finished telling me you're only getting three hours. I'm just asking you to for a shift to shift the time. Okay, so they go to bed, and I actually don't usually do three hours. That's a little too extreme. So I might say, if you want to wake up at six, go to bed at one a.m. And if they, what happens often, most of the time, is they begin to sleep from one a.m. to six a.m. I then add back fifteen or twenty minutes on the front end, so now, or maybe a half hour. So now instead of one, they go to bed at 12.30, but still aim for a 6 a.m. wake up. And you can see where I'm going with this. We right. rebuild a sleep pattern that allows them to be getting more hours of sleep in a consolidated block.
0: When do you? When does somebody need to see you then? If the things are simple enough to get an app and to change the pattern, what kind of persons do you see uh, and when is the problem
1: um, more serious? Well, so it depends, of course, on which sleep issue we're talking about. If we stick with insomnia for a minute um, and somebody's tried, quote, everything, read the book and tried some of these tricks and knows about what I just described, which is called sleep restriction, and they just aren't getting anywhere. Um, I I or... Somebody with the same kind of background can can be the coach in person. And sometimes that's more powerful to getting people to really follow the suggestions and follow the rhythm by having somebody to answer to and checking up on you is a pretty powerful tool. And you you know you certainly know, understand the power of just a physician presence and and input. So it is powerful in some people. Um, But we're ignoring a whole area, of course, of other sleep issues that aren't insomnia that lead to excessive sleepiness, especially during the day. And the one that I deal with by far the most is called obstructive sleep apnea. And apnea is a condition that occurs when the muscles in the throat don't work. And allow the throat to close up, blocking the airway, so that somebody's now struggling to breathe until finally they gasp and open their throat and start breathing again, whereupon they fall asleep immediately. And that awakening and taking some breaths is such a short period, maybe seconds, that they don't know they were awake. But they may have repetitive episodes of waking over and over again through the night. And in the morning, they're not fully refreshed, and in the course of the next day, they're tired and have trouble with concentration, mood, memory, focus, because they're actually sleep-deprived, even though they don't know it.
0: So, But so what what those are the people that just wouldn't respond to just behavior change. They, they have to have some major interventions. What are, the, they just, what, what, what are some of the things that you suggest for those people? Most people want that process.
1: The first order of business is to suspect sleep apnea, you know, because sleep apnea presents differently in different people. It's surprising how much sleep apnea somebody can have with relatively little symptoms, or somebody can have mild sleep apnea and have severe symptoms. It's just in individual response to the same kind of event. The, um, but, but the tip-off is if somebody wakes up and says, Doc, I was in bed seven hours, eight hours even, and I never feel refreshed. I never feel great when I wake up. That's a real tip-off that something's wrong with their sleep. Because if you're sleeping seven or eight hours or in bed seven or eight hours and don't feel refreshed, more often than not, I would say 90% of the time, something is going on.
0: Well, one final one final question. We have yeah. so much to talk about that we'll have to have you back for part two. What about the things across the counter? How effective are those sleep things that that you that say, okay, this is for sleep. This is the yeah. most wonderful thing ever. Um, what about those? Are they mostly antihistamines that make you drowsy? But are
1: they- Yeah, they're they they're pretty much 100%, 90% uh, antihistamines. We tend to become tolerant to their effect pretty quickly. So it begins to be just a placebo effect.
0: And what about snores? I mean, uh, here, here we didn't talk about that, but for many of our listeners, there's a snorer in the family. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's a loud, annoying snore. Uh, they don't hear it, so they don't understand how much of it. What can you do about that uh, that, that doesn't involve uh, CPAP or something for uh, sleep apnea?
1: So first of all, to me, there's no such thing as normal snoring. You know, if snoring were normal, you'd be snoring right now. So uh, I, I don't believe any snoring. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got sleep apnea. I'm not going that far. Um, one of the things, other things people don't realize is how much the nose has to do with airflow. So I really focus on making sure people are treating their allergies and treating their congestion in their nose, and that if necessary, they add to that what's called a nasal dilator, something that spreads the opening of the nose, either by external like a breathe right strip or internal a spring that I like people to get online called nasalaid.com. And and it's amazing because people don't recognize if you double the size of your nasal opening, you increase flow 15 fold that's poisson's law of flow mm. so so it's and, and and if you do the experiment on yourself and everybody out there sniffs and then takes their fingers and then just gently spreads their nose i guarantee you the majority of people are going to say wow that's much freer that decreases the collapsibility of the throat and the snoring that occurs as a result and
0: so know is I've got boxes of those strips, uh, but I didn't realize how effective they were. Well, Dr. Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Obviously, there are many other things we have to talk about. Certainly, we need a whole uh, program on sleep apnea and its impact on heart and you know, other organ systems. So uh, we appreciate your ta- you. Know, we appreciate you joining us, and we will have. Uh, is it okay if people uh, go on your website? And uh, do you have Absolutely. We yeah. we
1: we 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 um our our uh n- the name of our clinics are the California Center for Sleep Disorders, so uh, we've got uh, w- four locations around the San Francisco area at this time, down from seven before the pandemic, but you know we're that hanging means, in there.
0: That means more sleep for you. All right, well thank you very much, and uh, and we look forward to talking to you again.
1: Thanks, good All to right. talk to you, Doc.
0: All right, so we. We appreciate uh, Dr. Cram's uh, tips on sleep. So remember, help is your biggest asset. I'm Dr. Michael
1: North. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play. The Black Doctor Speak Podcast. Mm-hmm. Take care everybody.